Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California. And this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Perfect. Well, I am so excited to bring you the word this morning. Um, And it's so funny because every single time that I come to a topic that I feel like is like a hot topic or whatnot, it's one of those moments where either my heart in that season has been cultivated uh, to really like wrestle along with what I'm to share this morning, um, or it's something that I have battled in the past. In my last 31 years, God has definitely brought me from such a different place. Um, A lot of the times I'll get um, questions when I share stories about my testimony about me in college, the trauma and the heartache that I uh, kind of endured uh, throughout my life, people are like, wait, you did what? <laughs> Britt, you you made those choices? And I think for me, I feel that as this moment where I get to say yes, but that is the power of God working within my life is to begin to transform me. And so this morning, we're going to be spending a little more time in our series, It's Okay to Not Be Okay, through looking through the lens of anxiety. So raise your hand. Let's be honest. Who has ever had an anxious thought before? Okay. Same. Same. But I think this is the moment where we get to just sit in it. Sit in it and really understand what it is and really understand what is God wanting to do within our lives when we have these moments. So if you're a note-taking type, um, I just wanted to title it, It's Okay to Not Be Okay when anxiety comes. And I think it's important for us to realize is that when we say yes to Jesus, when we start walking with Jesus, it doesn't mean that our lives become this rainbow of butterflies and nothing will ever touch us anymore because we're walking with the creator of the universe. And yet sometimes when I realize that when I've dug my heels in with my relationship with Jesus, that is the moment where I feel that all the trials and challenges just come pouring at me. And so what we want to do uh, through this series and our heart behind it is that we want us to just state the obvious. That there is so many of us in this room that suffer with anxious thoughts, with anxiety. And I always want to be slow to say that I'm an anxious person. Because what I want us to realize is that there's so much more depth when we call ourselves Christians about who we are. But I think the first step when we are combating our anxiety is for us to really start this journey. And I say journey because this is not a moment where it's just, you know, the power of God can easily take my anxiety away. Right? I know that he is God who can do that. But what I do know is that this is a moment, at least in my own life, that I have to choose and struggle and process and walk with God on a daily basis. And so what we have to first do is we need to really name and define it. Because when we designate and define the anxiety in our life, we're able to sift and sort to the root. So when we designate, like, okay, this moment, this situation is giving me anxiety, is giving me anxious thoughts. And I'm going to define it because I could then pinpoint it. 
Then it begins, begins this process of sifting and sorting because there's something deeper going on. Like, think about it. Anytime that we've gone through a season where you have anxious thoughts or you have anxiety, that there's something else going deeper, right? That there's something else that might be causing it. Maybe it's guilt or shame or that, that voice of not enoughness. And so what we have to realize is that if we don't step into it with a bold step of courage, knowing that there can be a danger if we just hide it under the rug, that there is a danger when we decide that we're going to let anxiety run wild and rampant within our minds because it doesn't stay with us. It begins to seep into our life and infect other people. But I love this. There's um, our, our staff here is reading a book on leadership anxiety, which I thought was so fitting. And literally, I think we're supposed to only read like the first three chapters, but I finished the book um, because it just spoke so deeply to my heart of things that I've already knew, but it gave me vocabulary and words to really place on those moments that I can explain to somebody or even explain to my own, own heart. And I love this. It's written uh, by Steve Cusson. It says, anxiety shrinks the power of the gospel because it presents a false God, one of self-reliance rather than the reliance on God. So when we look at anxiety and we are going through anxious thoughts, it's this realization that we've put ourselves on a pedestal because we think we have enough. Sometimes in this Christian world, we have some phrases that just like are like chalkboard on a, a wall for me, where when people says like, God won't give me more than I can, I can uh, uh, fathom or I can have the strength for. And I think this is where if we have that mind posture of like, he won't give me anything I can't defeat. That I think it's this missed moment where we realize that we decided that it is our strength that defeats the things in our lives that might cause us to have anxious thoughts. But what Steve is saying in this, this quote is he's saying, uh-uh-uh-uh. That is when anxiety has a foothold to step in. And so what we want to realize is that God is our resilience. And when we start naming and designating our anxiety and be like, okay, Lord, like bring it back to me. Lord, realign me. That we start relying on the God of the universe instead of our own strength. Because again, we're going to define it. What is anxiety? It's a temporary worry or fear. I want you underline temporary. It's temporary. It's not here to stay. Because we know when we say yes to Jesus that on this side of eternity, that all will be healed when we are in the presence of God. But I think we have to also have this moment of there's a reality. There's a reality that it is a temporary fear. It is a temporary worry. But the reality is sometimes we fed into these moments that the world has tried to, to offer us is that anxiety is neither an identity label nor is it a unique issue. Like this is not this moment where sometimes the enemy likes to whisper in our ears when we have anxious thoughts like you're alone. Nobody else suffers with this. It's because you're but what we want to declare is the fact that it is not unique issue. Like, I, I had everyone raise their hand for a reason. Being like, man, there was over half of you who has had an anxious thought before. 
including the person who's, who's preaching this morning. And so we have to realize that it is not a unique issue. And you're like, man, Brett, that, that's kind of rough. Like, it is, it is tender, though. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, worry-free, but that it, you're not unique in it. And then this also idea of the fact that I have had conversations and I've heard it come out of my own mouth that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't go because I'm really an anxious person. I'm an anxious person. Like, I have anxiety. I, I can't do that thing. Or sometimes we might be like, oh, I'm an introvert. That, that's not me. But then what are we doing? We're labing, labeling ourselves. We're labeling ourselves as a person who is anxious, and it becomes this name tag and sometimes this like, badge of honor that we wear. And, and so what we have to realize is that this reality of anxiety is that it's not your identity because we know who, what our identity is. We're a child of God. We are made in his image. And then the second reality we have to face about anxiety is that this busyness culture that we have subscribed to, it's adding to the anxiety. Like, there is so many moments where I've read articles saying, like, anxiety is on the rise. And so many times these studies have been talking about this little device that we carry around, our phone. Like, how many times have you come up, and maybe it was this morning, you're like, how's your week? Oh, I was busy. I was really, 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 really busy. And sometimes when you're that person receiving that response, you're like, oh, yeah, me too. I was so busy. Like, we've glamorized being busy as being worth it. Like, our worth is tagged along to how busy we are, how we, much we've filled our calendars. And then we have this phone, this device that we've entered into our lives. Some of you might even sleep with this phone. I had this realization that I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I can turn off my phone. Like if you take two buttons and hold them together, it turns off. Because what has happened is we are so tied to this device that offers this opportunity for us to be so connected. And yet anxiety is just pouring on us because what do we do? We use this device, we live in this distracted world with a device that keeps score. I can't imagine being a high schooler at this moment. Like just with social media alone. I remember when I was a kid, and this is going to make me sound really old, but I had to call my friends or send letters to them to communicate them if I did not see them at school. And so my world of comparison was literally just whoever I went to school with, and I went to a tiny, tiny little school that literally had like one grade per. And now we have this device in our back pocket that literally gives us the opportunity to compare ourselves with the whole entire world. And so what we have to realize is that this device is also consuming. And so when we go to God or we go to other people and say, ah, I'm so anxious this morning, and yet we have not turned our phone off this week or ever, I think it's this moment where we have to stop and realize, like, what am I feeding into myself that I have been so anxious 
Because what happens is when we are connected to this moment, this device, whatever it is, um, that keeps us so busy on keeping score, about being the best, about getting better grades, about being in a relationship or going on that one vacation because we saw our friends or that influencer posting something, and yet we lose the art of being still. And I know that there's so many moments in the Bible where we have to be still to hear the voice of God. Now, here's a verse that I always love. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I had a pastor once take this verse, and he was like, okay, Britt, when you are anxious, this is a moment where you retrain your brain and go to this verse. And he goes, and this is what I want you to do. We can get the next slide up. And just say, be still and know that I am God. Think about that. And then he'd be like, okay, then read it next. Be still and know. Be still. Be. So when we get these moments where we have anxiety just building up over us, whether it's where, wherever it's stemming from, we want to be the kind of people that go back to this scripture and say, okay, be still that I know that you are God. Be still. Just be. Be in his presence. Be with him. And so what I want us to know and realize that I'm going to bring us to a scripture that maybe a lot of you have read before. Maybe you have a cup and a mug. Bless, you know, we love it. But what we want to realize is that there is power in scripture. I have been reading this verse over and over and over again. Every time it helps me to combat my anxiety, my anxious thoughts. And what I love about the word is that it is living and breathing and continuing to transform me. So would you join me in opening up Philippians? We're going to be in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So, so classic of a verse. Let me read it. It says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Who's, who's heard that verse before? Okay, cool. So some of you have. So what I want us to do is this is going to be our formula. Paul is writing this letter, and he's giving us this formula for us to combat anxiety. And so what we have to realize is it's a simple roadmap. And don't, don't think that, like, simple means that it's easy, but it, that there is a clear path for us to follow when we face anxiety. And, and so what we see is it says, do not worry about anything. It's the first one. But what? Through prayer, what do we receive? The peace of God. That we are called and commanded to do not worry about anything. But through prayer, the peace of God is given to us. So I, I, if you're a math person, you might like this, but I, I brought a math equation says anxiety, so our anxiety, that when it is divided with prayer, 
we step into peace through our God. And what we have to realize is it's not our own peace. Not our own peace because our hearts are so fickle. Our hearts are just so easily twisted and turned. But when we face our anxiety and divide it with our prayer, that we get to experience God's peace. You see, because when we want to experience our own peace, we sometimes fail to understand that when God's peace enters into our lives, that our situation might not change, but our soul does. I don't know how many times I've had an anxious thought or a worry about the future or what I was going to wear. Like, it's a whole spectrum of things. But when I know that I take my anxiety and divide it with prayer, I enter into the peace of God. My situation might not look different. It might not look any different at all. But yet I know that my soul feels this release. My soul feels this let go. And it's almost kind of weird. It's kind of weird sometimes when you experience God's peace because it feels like that meme. Have you ever seen where it was like a dog and he's like sitting at a table and he's like drinking a cup of coffee and like totally not aware that there's like a whole room of fire around him, but he's completely content. That's how I visualize the peace of God. Like we're content because we know that we're walking with God and we know what Jesus did on the cross for us to give us that confidence, to give us that boldness, and yet the whole room could be on fire. And so I want us to realize that when we have our anxiety and we divide it through prayer, that it is a moment that we are leading out with prayer and not having it as the last resort. I hope, like HSM, like my prayer for our family here is that we are people that go to prayer as the first thing. Like any time that anxiety begins to creep into your life, that you go to prayer as the first way to combat it. Because what happens? We experience the peace of God. We experience what he has for us. Because when we divide our anxiety with prayer, that is what happens. But what I want to be ever so clear, because we're talking about mental health, we're talking about the ways our, our brain works, that there's this moment where we have to realize, what is it not saying? Well, it's not saying that anxiety isn't hard. Like, anxiety can be really hard. There are some of you that might have to have medication, like, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not also saying that we don't seek a therapist or we don't see a counselor. Like, that's not else what I'm saying. And then I'm also not saying this, that we don't find ways to cope. In a couple weeks, we're going to be inviting some therapists to come and answer some of the questions that you've given, whether it was through small group, through our social media. And I think it's so beautiful and so helpful to have ways to cope but what my heart for us to be as followers of Jesus is that when we face these giants of anxiety, that we run to God in prayer. But here's what I am saying. I think we have to scale our anxiety. We have to scale it. My therapist, I go to a therapist, Debbie, she'll be here. She's amazing. She always goes, okay, Britt, <clears throat> We have a situation, we're having anxious thoughts about it, right? Scale it, one to 10. 
And I'll be like, okay, it's a four. And she'll go, okay, cool. Anything six and below, let it go. She's like, it's the frozen aspect. Like, let it go. But if it is a six and above, let's deal with it. And then she asked me this, this next question. She says, okay, if it's six and above, can you uh, just, like, fix it all in one day? And most of the time, I'm like, no. He's like, okay. Six and above, we deal with it. But if you can't deal with it and complete it and fix it and heal it in one day, then this is a moment where we're going to realize that we're going to let it go, but also understand that this is going to be a process and a journey. The second thing is we need to create margin. Remember how we were talking about how we love to be busy? We love to out-busy each other. It's glamorized for us to be busy, calendars full, because either we think it feels like people value our time or that the more busy we are, the more things we have to do. Because sometimes when we aren't sifting and sorting through our anxious thoughts that the actual root is so much deeper, and, and so what we have to do is create margin for ourselves. Again, Steve Cuss, if you, if you want to read this book, like, I know that it's on, like, leadership anxiety, but my goodness, it was so good for my heart. He says, we all know the importance of observing some kind of Sabbath rhythm. After all, you can't fill a moving cup. God wants to restore and refresh you, but if you're constantly moving and constantly trying to, you know, do one thing or another and not stopping and Sabbathing, literally stopping, like, do you have, like, think about it. Is there one moment in this next week where you're going to stop and just be? Going back to that Psalms, to, to be still and know that I'm God. Do you have that in your week? See, when we're combating anxiety, what I am saying is that we need to create that margin. We need to create that Sabbath with our God so that he can remind us and refresh us. And then the last thing that it is, and this for me, this was a really hard one, is that you'll have to say no to things that are good. You'll have to say no to make sacrifices for you to create margin in your life. Because when we have anxiousness within ourselves, sometimes we, we have this reaction of like we, we push everyone away and then we, we just hide away and we're in our thoughts and it just, just this spiral moment happens. Or what we might do is then we just like dive into school, dive into our sports, dive into whatever is in our minds that we feel like we just want to distract ourselves. And so what I am saying is that we have to scale our anxiety, we have to create margin, but then that also means we have to say no to some good things, and that's okay. Because why? It's okay to not be okay. But there are some steps that we have to take to begin that process of healing with God. And so what I wanted to do is like, okay, if I'm going to ask you to take your, your anxiety and divide it with prayer so that we can experience the peace of God, then... What does that look like? Like, can I can I just be totally, totally transparent? (sighs) Monday, when I found out about Aaron's family, I had no words. I remember I literally sat there stunned, and then I ran to my roommate Sarah's 
room. I knocked on her door, and I like literally leapt on her bed. I think I, I probably startled her. And I was like, read this. And I loved it because we looked at each other, and we're like, we need to pray. And I'm not saying that I have it all together, but I remember she's like, okay, let's pray. And she goes, you start first. And I literally sat there with zero words. There was, I, I, there was no words that expressed, expressed my heartbreak, my concern, like all of these emotions. And so what I did is I went back and I was like, okay, Lord, when I don't have any words, my heart speaks for me. But what I also want us to know is that when we step into moments where we are filled with anxiety, when we're filled with some big emotions, again, it's not unique. It's not our identity. And because it's not unique, and because the Bible is so beautiful and kind and powerful, that there are people in that Bible that have experienced the things that I've experienced. And so what I want us to do is quickly go through four characters, four prayers, because I know that when I don't have words, I pray somebody else's words from the Bible, and usually that's the moment where then the Lord starts giving me words to say. And so the first one is the prayer of honesty. The prayer of honesty is that God can't heal what we aren't giving to him, or he can't heal what we pr pretend to be. And so maybe for you to, to begin to divide your anxious thoughts is to begin prayers of honesty. To begin this prayer where you just surrender and are honest and just say all the things. Think about it, your best friend. Your best friend is your best friend, why? Because you probably have experienced a lot of different things together. Maybe it was joy, heartache, celebration, challenges, whatever that is. But it's because you guys were honest with each other that you can be best friends. God wants to be that same person to you. Because what we know is that honesty produces intimacy with God. That when we're honest with God in our prayers, that we begin to cultivate this relationship with him that is so much deeper than just creating what I love to say, like a, a, a genie in the bottle kind of prayer where we just come to him because we need that to pass that math test, or we just come to him because we're facing challenging things. Like, we just want to be honest with God. And I think it's so important for us to realize is that he wants to see all of our emotions. He knows them. He's a God who knows everything about your heart because he created it. But what he wants is that honesty from you, that transparency, that vulnerability for you to have honest prayers. He wants us to hold nothing back. And we see that King David in Psalms 51, he gives this beautiful moment to God just to be honest, just to be just this moment where I can imagine when David was writing this, it was this moment where it was just him and God, and he's just releasing everything that was on his heart. It says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful Lord, love, according to our abundant Compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you and you alone, I have sinned and done the evil in your sight. 
So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless, blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, David was being honest in the ways that he had sinned, in the ways that he didn't deserve God's graciousness. And yet what he was doing is he was giving this prayer of honesty to God in order for him to have this conversation with Jesus for him to know that he is holding nothing back. He knows where he is. He knows exactly what is happening. The sin that he's committed, the moments he's missed the mark, and yet he knows that God is a God who is gracious to give him a clean heart. So what I want us to know is that we can begin by praying honestly. The second thing is praying of hope. I love this. Hope is a quiet, calm assurance that God is working even when we don't see it. We sing it. Even when we don't see that you're working, I am going to cling to the hope of Jesus, knowing that he is working even when the results aren't coming in the ways that I would like. Because what we have to realize is we don't want to jump into this false sense of hope where it becomes a sense of disappointment management, where we're just managing our disappointments. Like we're like, oh, I I don't want to give, you know, get my hopes up too high because then I don't want to come down and be so disappointed. And yet it's because of our interactions with other broken people that we have gotten this callous about hope. But what we have to realize is when we pray to God, this prayer of hope that we can have a steadfastness in it. I, I love this because the goal of managing anxiety is not simply a relief, It is connected more fully with God to raise awareness of what God is doing. Anxiety blocks our awareness of God because it takes our subconscious attention. This means that anxiety can be an early detection system that we're depending on something else other than our God. When we have anxiety coming up and bubbling up, I love to see this as a marker. Like, we want our anxiety to be this anxiety that is a moment where it is not a guide, but it's a gauge. That it's not a guide to how we're to live our life, but it's a gauge on who is on the throne of our hearts. Is it God? Because God doesn't give us anxiety. That's not who he is. But when you have anxiety, it's this moment where you can step back and be like, okay, What is on my heart right now? What am I putting on the throne above my God who has everything in control, that only good and perfect gifts comes from him, that he cares for me, that he fights for me? And so it's this this gauge where we realize, man, I need to realign my heart for what God has for me. That there's grace when we have those moments, but I don't want this anxiety to be like, oh, I feel anxious, let's not deal with it. It's bad. No, but if we start reframing our mind, being like, okay, it's not the greatest, but it's a gauge for me to realize that my guide is off. 
We see this in Job. If you know anything about Job, Job is a man who loved Jesus dearly and yet suffered so greatly. But I love this because he has literally lost everything. Everything. And yet this is his response to a friend in the ways that he prayed. He said in Job 19, 25, it says, But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger, my heart longs within me. You see, Job was facing, I could imagine the type of anxiety of just losing everything, you, everyone you loved, all your possessions, and yet what was his response? He goes, but I know my Redeemer. I know who God is. And so when we start dividing our anxiety with a prayer of hope, it's this moment again where our situation might not change, but we know that our prayer becomes this lifeline to our hope because it's steadfast. It's anchored to God. Because I love this, um, when it, what happens next is when we begin to divide our prayer, another one is, is our prayer of help. I don't know how many times I've, I've prayed that where I'm like, Lord, help. Lord, help me. Be with me. I don't know what to do. And we see this Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king who loved Jesus. And, and it was this moment where he was in a battle and he was fearful. And this is what I, Hezekiah prayed. 2 Kings 19, 14. He says, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God. You alone are all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sienna Cherim has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. So you see, he was faced with a lot of tension and anxiety, and yet he prays this prayer of help. Like literally, he's like, do you know what's happening? Are you aware? Like, look, open your eyes. Are you seeing this? See, this is a type of prayer that Hezekiah, who was so in love with God, prayed this prayer of help. And I love this because if you jump over to verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. Like, can you imagine this prayer of help where he just says, like, Lord, do you see what is happening to your people? And what happens? God sends one angel. One angel that kills all of these people of Assyria. Like, could you imagine if he sent two? And what, what happened? Was it literally he, he stepped into this moment where he could have decided that anxiety was just going to engulf him. And yet he divided that with prayer of help. And God gave him a way out. 
The last one is the prayer of habit. Now, what we want to be is people who are continuing to pray. In the Bible, it says to pray without ceasing. I think a lot of the times we think that prayer is only if we're like in church or in in small group or it means that our eyes are closed. Like prayer could literally just is a conversation with God. It can just be a help. It can be a what am I doing? And so when we're fighting our anxiety with prayer, it is not that we occasionally pray, it's that there is a frequency in which we pray. Because I think that there's power in prayer that isn't just quantity, but frequency. Like it just doesn't mean, like I think a lot of times I know that anytime I ask somebody to pray, like we can be all talking and then I asked, like who wants to pray? And like silence. Because we have this weird connotation that prayer comes with like eloquent words that we have to use these like SAT words for us to communicate with God. And it just means we get to talk with God. And and so what we have to realize is that we want to create a culture of prayer because we're known by it. Like my heart would be so excited that I I think of our our event at Friday Night Lights, and there are tons of people, like there are people around in the community that don't love Jesus at all, but know Friday Night Lights and that it happens here. My heart would be that we are so in love and so frequent in our prayer that we are known by the way we pray. Not because it's fancy and beautiful and pretty, but because we understand that there is power in it. And that when we face times of anxiety, we turn to prayer in those moments. I look at Daniel. Daniel was a man who loved uh, God so much. And there was a moment in his life where he was under a king who made this decree with his advisors that there was once a year. It was one time a year. That everyone under this king's rule would have to pray and praise that king. But you know what? Daniel knew that his God was more mighty and more powerful. That I love this. In uh, Daniel 6.10 it says, When Daniel learned of the document that had been signed, he went into his house. So this document that is signed, that one day a year you had to praise and pray to the king. This is what he did. The, uh, the windows in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God just as he'd done before. So he's like, there is no way that I'm praying or I'm praising to another God, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I've done before. This wasn't the first time that, that Daniel got out on this window and prayed three times a day. This was something he continuously partook in. And I love this because what happens is the advisors then take him and they throw him into a lion's den because he would not submit to this document, to this decree. And what does he do? The next morning they come in, they open up, and they roll the the stone away, expecting to see that Daniel had been eaten by these lions. And yet in verse 21 it says, Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him. So what happens is that Daniel begins to praise and and pray to God in his moment of, I can't imagine the anxiety of being in a tight spot with lions. Like, are you kidding me? 
And yet, what does he do? He doesn't go and fight the lions. What he does is he begins to take this anxiety and divide it with his habitual prayer. It's something that he didn't just start doing, but he has been doing and continued to do, even when surrounded by lions. And so what we get to see is that there is peace, that there is hope, because we have the rest of the Bible. And realize that when we take our anxiety and we begin to divide it with our prayers, we experience the peace of God. But we have seen in the New Testament that peace isn't just a place, it's a person. That peace is Jesus. Peace is what he did on the cross on our behalf, for our maybe, for our consideration, knowing that we can say no and that we can step into these moments of anxiety and stay there. I love this. First Peter 5, 6. What do we do? How do we experience this prince of peace? We find it in this verse. We humble ourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering that are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ with himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while to be him the dominion forever. Amen. So we can look at the story of, uh, of Daniel and realize, man, I may not have like lions in my life. Like, yeah, I, I might have anxiety about a test or a relationship or a friendship or my family, whatever that looks like. But we have to realize is in First Peter 5, we are being reminded that these are just the little things. That who is the actual prowling lion that is wanting to de devour all of us and get us to stay in our anxiety so that we can't hear what God has for us, the promises that he has kept on our behalf, and that is the enemy. And so what we want to be is people who know that we're going to face anxiety because what? It says experienced by your fellows believers all around the world we're not unique in this anxiety but does it mean that it's hard and that there is an enemy that is out to have us trip up and get just sucked into our anxiousness and forget the fact that we have the power of prayer to divide that to encounter the living God who has peace and who has sent the prince of peace on our behalf I'm going to invite uh, the worship team up. So what I want us to know is that, yes, it is so important for us to have moments and spaces to, to cope and deal with and be supported in our anxiety, but I want us to be people who have knee-jerk reactions to pray prayers of hope, to pray prayers of help, and it to be this habitual thing, an ongoing thing, an ongoing conversation of what God has for us. 
So what I want us to do is I don't want us, because let's be honest, you're going to forget basically all the words that I've said this morning, but that's okay. But what I hope is that we begin to take bold steps of courage into being transformed by what we have found in the scriptures this morning. And so if you haven't sat on it already, there's a piece of paper with a QR code on it. And this is my challenge that I'm going to partake in as well. It is a link to a prayer plan. So if you have the YouVersion app, the Bible app on your phone, you just have to uh, scan it. And it is literally seven days. We can do seven days next Sunday. Where we take every single day and we're going to create space, create margin in our lives to spend time with Jesus. I've done this, uh, this plan before and I love it and I do it many times because it's this moment where I could never be good enough in my prayer. There's always something more God is teaching me with and I experience that enoughness and that confidence and that lack of anxiety when I create space and create margin for him to speak truth into my life. And so my challenge is take that QR code Maybe you use Google Calendar. I don't know what your life looks like when you organize, but actually set an appointment with Jesus this week and take five minutes. It literally five minutes can change the direction of your day when you get to look at what believers have come before us and how they pray to God. How are they encouraged to lean into this moment where I'm not going to choose to stay in my anxiety, but I'm going to choose to talk to the one who has control over everything so that I can step into his peace that he has for me. Would you bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father? Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your character and your consistency in our life, Lord. Lord, I just pray against all the anxiety, all the anxious thoughts that we might have today, this week, Lord. But Lord, would you fill us with spirits that just have this reaction to turn and seek your face, Lord, to turn towards prayer, Lord, so that we can receive the grace, the love, the peace, and the mercy you have over our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray for that one student that might be in this moment where they're just facing a lot of anxiety. They feel overwhelmed, Lord. Lord, would you put people in their way that continue to point towards you? Lord, we are trusting you with our future, with our hearts, with our weeks, knowing, Lord, that you are a God who does not return void, that you are trustworthy, and we thank you. Lord, we pray this in your most precious name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at calvaryhsm805. Go live and love like Jesus.